Good morning, loved ones. I got to get a different one beside loved ones. That seems always pop into my head. But it's true. We're loved, right? We are loved very much and very deeply and much indeed. So uh, we were talking Tuesday night about that hymn that we sang this morning. And uh, and I, I didn't really know you were going to put it in there, but... <laughs> So we were talking about that, uh, our mighty fortress is our God, because I, you know, I, I love to sing, and the reason I sing up here is because I sing horribly, but the, but the, but the speakers drowned me out, so it's really good. But that, uh, we were talking about how, for me, that's a hard one to sing, because it's like, a mighty fortress, you know, you're like, so uh, that's why if you heard me chuckle when it came up, that's, that's why I chuckled, because of, because of that, so. Please, if you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Today we will finish up the elder, uh, the qualification for the elders, and, uh, and then we will move on to the next section of the qualification for deacons and everything. I think it's important that we, that we know these things. I think it's important that we know... Um, our leaders and what uh, they are to be. I think it's oftentimes we can we can read these qualifications and we can have leaders within the church and because they've been leaders for so long, we just forget to hold them accountable to what God has called them to and the qualifications that God has called them to. And we need to, as a body, be sure that we are constantly uh, looking and watching and not presuming that the elder's life is perfect all of the time. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we will dig in. Father, we are so gracious that we could come into your presence, Lord, that we can sing, Behold our God, seated on his throne, Come, let us adore him. Father, I'm reminded of the vision of Isaiah as he comes into your throne room and he sees you seated upon your throne and he sees your glory and he sees your beauty and he realizes that he is a man of unclean lips and lives among a people of unclean lips, Lord. And this is us, Father. We are people who live among a people of unclean lips, Lord, and we so desperately need your forgiveness and your grace and mercy in our life, Lord. And so today we come and we ask that you would accompany the preaching of your word, Lord, that you would forgive sins, Lord, that our hearts would be pure as we dive into your word, that your spirit would come, Lord, and convict us in our own lives and encourage us in our lives that, Lord, you would be the one who is set on glorious display because of your working within the church. So, Father, please, may we come and behold you today, seated on your throne, that we may come and adore you. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for this time. We ask this all in your name. Amen. So, character. Character. The Bible tells us that good, the Bible tells us that bad company corrupts good morals. And so as parents and grandparents and um, non-parents, 
we are always constantly in check of who we hang out with. As parents, we're always curious of whether our kids are in school or they're at uh, uh, sporting events and and who they're hanging out with. We want to know the character of the kid they're hanging out with. And not only that, we want to know the character of their parents. We want to know who they are so that we can trust them to go to their homes or to stay overnight with them. And so we are people who are consistently looking at somebody's character. And that is what we judge people by, whether they're honest or they're dishonest. All we have to do is look at uh, the ads on TV. Is everybody else tired of them like I'm tired of them? You know, when we turn them on, it's, it's how bad our politicians are. It's I'm going to go after their character, right? And so that leaves us with, you know, voting for the one that is the least of the, of the evils. And so, but we have this character issue that we are always looking at, and we have to do this in the church too. We have to be sure we look at the character of the elder. And that's what Paul tells us today. He tells us today that we're going to look at the character of the elder. Last week, we looked at the elder's calling, we looked at the elder's desire, and we looked at the elder's work. This week, we're going to look at the elder's character. We're going to look at his character. So please, look with me at 1 Timothy 3, 2 through 7. This is what the apostle writes to Timothy says, therefore, an overseer, remember? So now overseer can be translated. We looked at it last week. Overseer can be overseer, could be pastor, could be shepherd, could be elder. So we can, those can be all interchangeable within the scripture, talking about the same person. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the church of God? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So those are the characteristics of the elder or of the overseer. So we have one main overarching requirement. And the main overarching requirement is the elder must be above reproach. He must be above reproach. We see this in verse 2. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach right? Uh, Titus tells us it in this way. He, Titus says the same thing. We're going to be going back and forth. In Titus 1.6, he says, if anyone is above reproach, or if any man is above reproach. So we see where Titus and 1 Timothy are going to go back and forth, and I'm going to go back and forth in this. Now, what this means, what this word must be above reproach means is there must not be a charge that you can set against an elder that will stand, Right? There might there not be a charge against him. Now, we also have to understand that when we look at elders, they are to be men of excellent character, but they are not to be men of perfection. 
because we're not perfect. So there's not one single man that can take these requirements and fulfill them absolutely perfectly. So we can't hold them to a perfect standard, but we have to hold elders to an excellent character. There's only one person that holds these characteristics perfectly, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we should be thankful that he holds these perfectly because he perfectly ministers to us perfectly with all of these characters because he is perfectly all of these characters. That is why the elder must be one who imitates Christ. Striving for perfection but being excellent. He has to have excellent character. This is, must be above reproach. This word must is an absolute necessity. It's, it's, it's there. Re- reproach is not be able to be held. This is similar to being arrested. They can't be arrested. So this is the main overarching requirement is that the elder must be above reproach. Now he must be above reproach in his moral character. And first of all, we see in, in, in 1 Timothy 3, 2, the husband of one wife. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. This literally means a one-woman man. That's what it means. So that means, can a single person, can a single guy be an elder? Yes, a single guy can be an elder. Can a divorced man be an elder? Yes, a divorced person can be an elder because the Bible does talk about marriage and remarriage, right? So we, we, we can't sit there and say that it only is a married man, although he does say the husband of one wife because if it was only the husband of one wife, then Paul would be exempt, wouldn't he? Paul would be exempt from being a elder he would be exempt from being a leader in the church because as far as we know paul was single paul was single according to first corinthians 7 8 he says to the unmarried and the widows i say that it is good for them to remain single as i am so we see where paul was single and it was good for paul to be single because his whole affections could be for christ his whole ministry could be for christ there wasn't another person that he had to care for or battle affections with. So we see that Paul was a leader. So this one woman man cannot mean just a husband of a wife. But typically we do see that most elders are the husbands of one wife. So this does mean that the elder, they're to have no other women in, he's not to have any other women in his life. Right? Not to have any other women in his life. He's a one woman man. He is completely faithful to the wife that he has. Faithful in every area. He is faithful in loving his wife. He is faithful in caring for his wife. He is a faithful man. He has only eyes for his wife. That is it. His eyes are not for other women on the internet. His wife is not, his eyes are not for the waitress at his favorite restaurant. No, his eyes are for his wife and his wife only. He is a one-woman man. He's not a flirt. And he is completely and fully devoted to his wife with all sexual purity. So that's what Paul is after here. A one-woman man is a moral man in his sexual purity. 
Because most of the time when we see an elder fall, we see a pastor fall, it's in that area. It's in the area of sexual purity. And so he has to be above reproach in the area of that he is a husband of one wife. Proverbs tells us of the unfaithful man. Listen to what Proverbs tells us in 6.32 and 33. He who commits adultery lacks sense. We can stop there. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor and his disgrace will not be wiped away. Brothers and sisters, this is what happens when adultery takes place. Secondly, in his moral character, the elder is to be sober-minded. He is to be wineless. He is not to be a drunkard. He is not to be a drunk all the time. Because when we are drunk, when we're drunk with alcohol, it clears, we don't have a clear thinking, right? Our, our minds aren't alert. We're not watchful. And so this is what the requirement is like. It's metaphorically in this way as being alert and watchful and clear-minded. The elder must be able to think clearly. He must be able to, uh, to be alert. He must be able to be watchful. He is to be sober-minded. He is to be able to deal with issues within the church clearly. He is to be the one who's taking careful watch over the sheep. He's watchful all the time. He is sober-minded. Not only is sober-minded, but he's self-controlled. He's self-controlled. He's disciplined. He has a prioritized life. There's not chaos in his life. There's no chaos in his life. He is uh, marked by the Holy Spirit in this area. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And then in Titus 1, 8, Paul, as he writes to Titus, says this, that the elder, he must be hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled. If his life is chaotic and if his life is out of control, guess what? The church is going to be chaotic and the church is going to be out of control. He must have a self-controlled, well-disciplined, prioritized life. This not perfection, but excellent but excellent. When we look at Christ, Christ had that. He had that perfect, self-controlled life. He had his prioritized life right there in front of us as he did the Father's will. Fourthly, he is to be respectable. He is to be respectable. It's the same as almost self-controlled, kind of in the same area. It's, it talks about his life being in shambles, but he has to be respectable. He cannot have a, a crazy, crazy life. He's to be hospitable. Now, this word hospitable is a compound word meaning a lover of strangers. It's easy to be hospitable with people we love, right? Come over to my house for dinner. It's easy. But what this is saying is that the elder is one who is a lover of strangers, right? Is a lover of strangers. Just think of Jesus in his life. Jesus hung out with strangers. The woman at the well, 
He didn't know who she was. She didn't know who he was. Perfect stranger. But he was a lover of strangers. He was a lover of strangers. And so the elder must be a lover of strangers. Paul tells us in Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints, seek to show hospitality. This word seek to show, it's, it's a word that means to strenuously seek to show hospitality. Chase after it. Pursue it. Be the one that goes to strangers. Love the strangers. Be hospitable. And we are to do this without grumbling. The elders to do that without grumbling. Show hospitality in 1 Peter 4.9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And Hebrews gives us even more motivation to be hospitable. As Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not reject to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. The elder's home is always to be open to strangers and to family and to friends. How else are you going to know how the elder is? If all you do is see me and Dick and Martin here on Sunday, how do you know how we really are during the week? Our homes should be open. You should be able to come to our house. You should be able to have dinner with us. You should be able to see how our homes are run. The elder needs to be vulnerable in all areas. Needs to be vulnerable. Next, in his moral character is he is able to teach. He is able to teach. This is the one requirement that sets him apart from the deacon, is he is able to teach. 2 Timothy 2.24 says this, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. In verse 9 of chapter 1 of Titus, he says this, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instructions in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. The elder needs to be a student of the word. The elder needs to be in the word, studying the word, reading the word, not only academically, but devotionally. Letting Christ minister to his own heart, letting Christ fill him so that he may fill the people that he ministers to as he teaches the word of God. The word of God should be seen in his life. He is not to be one who says, do as I say, not as I do. This is why there should be no closed doors. This is why there should be no closed doors. He is to rightly divide the word. He is to guide the sheep through the word. He is to have the ability to faithfully defend the faith. He is to be sound in doctrine. He is to hold firm to the truth of the word. He is not to be shaken by every wind of doctrine that comes through the church. He is to hold fast to Christ. That is what we want. We want a man who has a character who holds tightly to the feet of his Savior. Teaching and preaching the word is a priority, is the primary duty. In 1 Timothy 4.13, it says, Until I come, devote, devote yourself 
to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. In 5.17, he says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And again in Titus 2.1, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So we see his moral character. His moral character, the husband of one wife, he is to be sober-minded. He is to be self-controlled. He is to be respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. And then Paul goes to the elder's self-restraint. He is to have self-restraint. 1 Timothy 3.3 says, Not a drunkard, not a violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. So he is not a drunkard. He is not given to wine. The elder must not be known for his drinking. In Titus 1.7 it says, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard. So a quick story, really quick. I remember I was working on a guy, and he lived up in this area, and his neighbor was a pastor. And so he asked me a question. He said, hey, Mark, he goes, how much can a pastor drink? That was his question. I said, well, I don't know. I said, this guy can't drink because of a medical thing that I got happening. But I said, I, you know, there's nothing that says that a pastor can't drink. He's just not to be a drunkard. And I said, why do you ask that? And he says, well, my neighbor, my neighbor's a pastor, and and every time we go out to the recycle bin, when the recycle bin comes, I can't believe how much alcohol is in his recycle bin. I said, well, I don't know. I don't know if he's getting drunk every night. I don't know if he's not. But here was the problem with the whole thing, is the perception that his neighbor had of him was that he was a drunk. It was perception. Now, I don't know if that pastor was drinking like crazy every night and getting drunk. I don't know, and neither did he. But from the perception that he saw, he was known for his drinking. The elder is not to be known for his drinking. doesn't mean that a pastor, it doesn't mean that an elder can't have a drink, but he is not to be known for it. We have to understand that alcohol is a destroyer of the truth. Alcohol is a destroyer of the truth. Proverbs 31.4 says this, It's not for kings, Olamil. It's not for kings to drink wine or for the rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. It's not for them to take strong drink. When we, stay, when we take strong drink, we're not clear up here. This is where the elder needs to be clear. Not only here, but up here. He needs to be able to think Clearly, he is not to be a drunkard. He is not to be dominated by alcohol. 1 Corinthians 6.12 All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. It's not to rule his life. It's not to be the desire of his heart. He's not to be a drunkard. He's not to be violent, not a giver of blows. The elder must be able to act in situations, whether good or bad, with gentleness. Not overbearing, not heavy-handed, not domineering according to 1 Peter 5. But in all situations, good or bad, with gentleness. With gentleness. 
And this gentleness is he is to be handling the situations graciously. He's quick to forgive failures. He is not to hold a grudge. That is hard. Not to hold a grudge is hard. He's not to hold onto an offense against him. That is hard for us, right? When somebody offends us, it's hard for us just to be like, oh no, we're good. It's over. It's done. Right? That's hard. That's hard for the elder too. But the elder should be striving for this. He is gentle. Whenever anything good or bad comes up, he calmly, he graciously, and he gently handles the situation. This was what Jesus did, right? This is what Jesus did. Jesus says in Matthew 11, 29, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. As elders, brothers, we are to be gentle and lowly in heart because the one we serve is gentle and lowly in heart. We're to imitate him and we're to be as he is. We're to handle situations as he handled situations gently, gently. And again, gentleness is part of the fruit of the spirit. We read that again in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit, again, is love, joy, and in verse 23, gentleness. Gentleness. He's not quarrelsome. He's peaceful. He's not a brawler. He's a peaceful man. He seeks to do peace. He understands what a peacemaker is, is what he does. The elder can't be motivated. He he can't be a lover of money, not a lover of money. The elder's motivation cannot be money. The elder's motivation has to be his love for Christ and Christ's love for him and his love for the people of God. That has to be what drives him, not a paycheck. That can't drive him. He can't be a lover of money. Can't be a lover of money. Matthew 6.24, Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. <coughs> Oz Guinness says this. <coughs> Excuse me. If a man is drunk on wine, you'll throw him out. But if he is drunk on money, you'll make him a deacon. We laugh because it's true, right? We can get somebody that comes in here and they can be drunk on wine and we're going to boot them out. But then all of a sudden we get somebody that comes in here wealthy, dressed well, lots of money, starts taking care of stuff, has a love for money, and we're going to put that person in leadership. No, the elder, the deacon cannot be a lover of money. Paul tells us in Timothy about those who were rich. He says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. 
In Titus 1.7, he says, For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant, quick-tempered, or a drunkard, a violent, or greedy for gain. This is money. It cannot be greedy for gain. The disqualification comes when the elder is a lover of money. That's his desire. There are plenty of people out there that are rich and have a lot of money, but they're not a lover of money. But the elder cannot be one who loves money and is in church leadership. The very thing that Paul just said will fall into the elder if he is a lover of money. He will fall into snares and the many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin. He will ruin the church if he is a lover of money. He will drain the accounts. He will think only of himself. He will use the sheep for his gain. This is not the elder. The elder is to lay down his life for the sheep, regardless is what he is to do. He is to be above reproach in his family. In his family, 1 Timothy 3, 4, and 5, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Manage his own household well with God. We have to remember that the first church is met in houses. They met in houses, most likely the elder's house. So he had to be a good manager of his house. He had to have authority in his house. He had to be the leader in his house. This is what he had to do. He had to be a good manager of his house. And he had to do this honestly. He had to do it excellently. And it would be put on display for all of the church because they're in his home. This is why the elder's home must be open for the church body to come in so they can see his home life. He is to keep his children submissive well-behaved and respectful. Titus 1.6 says this, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to charge as debauchery or insubordination. So this verse kind of causes a little discomfort, right? Because if he's a one-woman man and he can be single and be an elder, well then Titus just disqualifies him because it says he has to have children that believe. So Paul kind of contradicts himself which he doesn't do. So I looked at this because this one really bothered me a whole lot. And scholars are different. Scholars differ on this. There are scholars that believe, yes, the elder must have believing children. And then other scholars sit there and say, no, they're not to have believing children because they are to be the example of a gospel-driven home where the kids are saturated with the gospel in the home. But it's still up to Jesus to save the kids, not him. These are faithful children. You want to see faithful children in, in the elder's life. You want to see children who are respectful. You want to see children who are well-behaved if they have children. This is what you want. It's up to Jesus to do the saving work, not the elder. The elder is to be faithful, to preach the word of God, to be an example of the gospel of grace to his children, but it ultimately is God who saves the children. But the children are to be faithful because that shows that he is a faithful man within the church. 
He is this faithful man. The elder must be a man then who faithfully manages his household, being committed to leading his family. He is to have a good reputation. A good reputation. 1 Timothy 3.6 He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. He's not to be a recent convert. He's not to be someone who the Lord has just saved. He's to be a mature man. The word elder says it all. It's an older, mature person. That is who it is. It's a person who has life, who's had ups and downs in their life. Perhaps God has taken them through the ringer. God has put them through the fire. This is why an older elder ministers so much better than a young man because he's been through the fire. He understands the ministry. He understands the ups and the downs. And this is where younger pastors need to look at these older pastors, these older elders, and take advantage of them because they have been. But he's not to be a recent convert because when you put a recent convert into a position of leadership such as this, it's dangerous. One, because he doesn't know what he's doing. And two, because he's got to care for the sheep of God. It is a high calling, brothers and sisters, when God makes an elder to care for his sheep. We saw that last week. So he's to be mature in the faith. He's to be mature in the faith. When a recent convert comes in, Paul says, what happens? He becomes puffed up. He becomes puffed up. He becomes all about himself. It's all about his fame. It's all about his notoriety and no more about Jesus. You see, the older we get, we understand one thing. It's all about Jesus. We understand that. We're not after fame. We're not after glory. We're after Christ. We pursue Christ. The recent convert in a leadership position can become puffed up domineering, tyrannical in his leadership. Must not be a recent convert. Proverbs 16, 18 puts it this way. Pride goes before destruction in a haughty spirit before a fall. The recent convert easily falls into condemnation of the devil. It was Satan. Satan's fall was because of pride. Because of pride. He was prideful. He was beautiful, right? The Bible tells us that he was one of the most beautiful creatures that God ever created. He was beautiful, and yet it was his pride that sent him tumbling. And it is his pride that will send him forever into the lake of fire as he still wants the throne of God today. Pride is the destruction of of the elder. Brothers, we can't be prideful men. We can't be arrogant and we can't be pompous. We must be teachable. We must be correctable. We must seek and love righteousness. We can't be puffed up. He is to be thought of well by outsiders. Thought of well by outsiders. 
even unbelievers, who disagree with him morally and spiritually. He's to be well thought of by outsiders. That's why it's crucial that we just don't ask people in his family how this elder is. We must go to where he works and ask the people where he works. It's to be an example for me is to sit down in the barbershop and ask every one of my clients that comes in what they think of me. That gives you an idea of what you think of me. Oh, you can ask Carlos. I'm not sure what he thinks of me, but... (laughs) But that's what it is. Well thought of by outsiders. He has a good reputation with outsiders. Philippians 2.14 says it this way. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, right? The outsiders, a crooked and twisted generation among whom you what? Shine. Does he shine the light of Christ to the outsiders? Does he have a love for the lost? Is he praying for the lost? We, we, we already talked about that in, in chapter 2. This is the elder. Now, now as we look at these requirements, we, we, we see these requirements for the elder. I don't want you to think that as you leave here that, oh man, Mark and Dick and Martin, boy, they're in for a rude awakening. Brothers and sisters, these are actually requirements for you also. You should be not analyzing my own life with these requirements, but you should be analyzing your own life with these requirements. They're in the Bible. They're for you. Just because they're in the pastoral epistle does not exempt us as believers. So what are we to do? We are to be striving to be above reproach in our lives. You and I as brothers and sisters, we're to have no charge that would stick against us. We're to have lives that are above reproach. We're to be faithful in our marriages. We're to be faithful in our singleness. This is what we are to do. We're to be clear-minded believers, not clouded by the next whim that comes through the church. We're to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit with gentleness and self-control. We're striving to be hospitable to all. We should be in a race, brothers and sisters. When somebody new comes into the church, we should be in a race with each other to whose house they're going to come to that day for lunch. We should be striving for that. We are not to be drunkards. We should not be people known for our drinking. We should not be violent people or brawlers. We should be those husbands that are here. You should lead your household well. Men who just have the households. You should lead your household well. You should be showing an example of Christ to whoever's in your household. You should be preaching the gospel of grace to your children, to your wife, to your grandkids, to your great-grandkids. Do your great-grandkids, do your grandkids, do your children see Christ in your life? Do they see a difference in your life? We're to have a good reputation with outsiders with your neighbors, with your co-workers, with your unbelieving family members so that God's gospel is not tainted when you say it. So, brothers and sisters, our motivation for pursuing these things, again, must not be to be better than others or to live a life of legalism. 
but is to live a life that is above reproach because we are accepted in Christ. This is the life he lived. This is the life he calls us to live. And brothers, as elders, we must do this excellently because we are the example to the flock. Not perfectly, but excellently. So today, so today as we leave, may we be pursuing righteous lives that is filled with godly character so that the light of Christ will shine forth in us as we go into a world that is in need of a Savior. May God's love for you and I and the work that Christ has done on our behalf compel us to go forth with the gospel of grace to a world that is crooked, that you may shine brightly and they will want that light in their life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for these requirements, Lord. Father, we know that Jesus fills them perfectly, but we don't. But Father, we should be striving for them. Give us all, Father, a tenacious spirit to strive after Christ, to seek Christ, to live lives above reproach. May you come today, Father, and convict us in our own lives where we need to be chasing after you. In your name we pray all these things. Amen. Please, let's stand as we sing our last song.